0: Hello, and welcome to Let's Meet the Virologists, a podcast about the people behind today's virology headlines, people working to understand viruses and how they affect you. We are talking with students, postdocs, and other virologists so that you can learn who they are and what they do. I am Larissa Thackeray, and I am hosting this podcast from America's Heartland in St. Louis, Missouri. On June 2nd, 2022, we talked with Ram Kumar, graduate student at the Institute of Virology, University of Münster, Germany. He completed his bachelor's and master's of technology from Anna University in Chennai, India. He uses infection of 3D lung models to study innate immunity against highly pathogenic influenza A viruses and SARS-CoV-2.
1: So thanks... Uh, for talking with us today. Um, Why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself?
2: Yeah, so I'm Sriram Kumar, and I was basically born and brought up in Chennai, which is a metropolitan city in South India. And I was born in a family that had very little to do with the logical sciences, I would say. So my um, dad was in the marketing sector, and my mom was a school teacher who's teaching social sciences and mathematics, and I also have a assistant uh, who is now dealing with commercial accounting and banking sector. So I was basically put up in a family that had very little to do with biology, like the immediate family itself. Nevertheless, I think I had this inclination for biology and its strong influence coming from my uh, extended family members because my grandfather was already a scientist, so he was already um, in uh, the field of taxonomy. So he was doing classification of nematodes in the previous century so I also had an aunt who, is, uh, so, uh, who was um, a high school biology teacher. So I was always told that I was carrying this gene for biology um, in my, like, through my family. But I think it was definitely uh, during my sixth grade when I had this real cut, or uh, like when I had this real inclination for biology, when it was introduced to me in my schooling. Um, while the uh, school educational curriculum itself introduced me that the cell is the basic structural and functional unit of life, So that was the biology that I had, but I um, fortunately had a cousin sister who was pursuing her um, undergraduation in biotechnology, and through her studies we always had interactions and I was dealing with a much higher level of biology, so I remember having uh, conversations with her about what a DNA is and how it replicates and uh, what's an electron transport chain as early as in my sixth grade, and this I think already... Um, instilled that very strong um, interest for biology in me and also I had I think really amazing uh, biology teachers all through my schooling so I think all these came together to uh, sort of give me the reason that okay so it's biology that I would be specializing on uh, for the rest of my life but I think the real let's say the breakthrough in my um, academic decision making happened when I was in my 11th grade because I think I had the opportunity to um, carry out real research um, at an Indian um, institution, which is the Indian Institute of Technology, one of the top Indian institutes. And there was this program called the Research Science Initiative, which was actually uh, initiated by the Center for Excellence in Education in Virginia, but we had the Indian version of it. So I was one of the um, uh, students that was selected uh, from among the schools. And I remember uh, carrying out a project on microbiology, so basically, I was working with a research scientist where, uh, and uh, through this uh, experience, I isolated microbes from soil, microbes from w- like water and curd and different food products. And this was already amazing because we were all, always told about microbes and microbial infections all through our lives. But to actually work with them was like a real reason for me to um, choose research because all along I knew that biology was my fault, but I always had this confusion As to whether I had to pursue research or should I practice medicine, so I think this experience was really um, a decision maker for me that okay, I am cut out for research and this is what I have to pursue. So I ended up choosing um, biotechnology for my undergrad and then pursued postgrad, and it was very clear that okay, so I would get into like scientific research and this is the path for me, and that's what really happened.
1: Great, and can you tell us a little bit about sort of your path in undergrad to where you are now? Like, how did you arrive or decide on the various institutions that you went to, and like, how did you uh, pick your particular labs or your particular focus? How did that all happen?
2: Yeah. So, um, as I already mentioned, I already yeah, so the decision of pursuing um, an undergrad in biotechnology was very thought like well thought of. Uh, And I always was fascinated about the immune system because uh, even during my school, when I uh, was taught about the different systems of the human body, what really intrigued me was the immune system because you have these different plethora of cells, which all arise from uh, like a subset of progenitor cells. So I was really fascinated how this all happens and how one particular cell type can give rise to different cells of the body, like the important cells of the body. And um, so I really wanted to specialize in immunology in the first place. What really happened is I um, decided to pursue a, a biotechnology course, which was more inclined towards engineering than the basic sciences. So even during my first year of my undergraduation, I was already involved in uh, like research projects, but these were more related related to chemical engineering and stuff like that. But I always had the thing that okay, it has to be something to do with real life sciences or medical sciences. So I was always waiting for the right um, opportunity, and this happened in my third year of undergraduate when. I received um, a research fellowship from the Indian Academy of Sciences. Uh, I basically had a, a specific research allowance and uh, the travel support from the Indian government uh, that supported me to pursue any research project that I wanted to like carry out or like to answer a specific questions that I always wanted to in any other institute of my choice. And I had the fortunate opportunity to work with this amazing biologist uh, named Dr. Somacharupadiya at the Institute of Life Sciences. And she was back then working on chicken cunia viruses, dengue viruses, and Japanese encephalitis. And I had the opportunity to work with one of her PhD students. So my project was uh, trying to understand the protein-protein interaction between NSP1 and NSP2 of chickpea and how this interaction favors the virus replication. I mean, again, all along, I was always told and I heard about viruses and virus infections, but this was the very first time I saw viruses under a confocal microscope, and this was already super fascinating. And this was actually, fortunately or unfortunately, a mismatch because I proposed a project on more of immunology in the context of virus infections, but this was on hardcore molecular virology. So I did not know if I I, I had the real uh, let's say the interest uh, to um, follow up on it but I would say uh, with thinking about it now that it was just the right choice for me and yeah so the whole project was mostly about cloning the different proteins and doing western blots and microscopy and stuff like that but what really was a turning point for me from this experience is the interaction that I had with my mentor because she also really said why it is important that I have to stay in virology, or people, we need more virologists because, at least in a country like India, back then there were very limited virologists. And she said that man can make so much of advancements and developments in the field of technology, but we will always have to deal with viruses, which are always emerging and re emerging. And there's always a constant need for better diagnostics and therapeutics, and there's an urgent need that. There are more people in this context. And that kind of gave gave me this impression that, okay, maybe this field needs attention. And it's also not boring. It's really interesting because I was always uh, really um, taken away by all the experiments and results that I got during these two months. And it was not just about research. I think she also had this, uh, um, let's say this image to see her students succeed. So it was also a vision for her mentorship that really gave me this decision that, okay, so if I choose academic research as my career, I actually have uh, like really important reasons that would give me like sort of a return to stay in this field. So that was the decision. And uh, even during these two months, I already uh, made up my mind that, okay, so it's going to be virology that I would be uh, focusing on for the rest of my life. And I fortunately had another fellowship during the same period, which I was not able to pursue, which was also on virology. So I kind of thought that maybe I have to redirect it and make use of it for my bachelor's thesis, which is what I did. So um, my experience with Dr. Chattopadhyay was actually the decision maker for me to pursue a virology project for my bachelor's thesis also. So for my thesis, I worked with Dr. uh, Krishnan from the Center for Cellular and Molecular uh, Biology again, one of the top Indian institutes in India. And there, I had a different perspective of virology. So with SOMA, I worked with A virus that causes virus infection, but with Krishna, uh, Dr. Krishna, I worked with an oncogenic virus. So I basically worked with um, hepatitis C and my project was again more towards molecular virology because I was looking into Yamanaka factors, which were um, actually um, involved in reprogramming the cells from an epithelial state to a mesenchymal state, a, a phenomena that is classic for many of the oncogenic viruses. So I, so I was again um, involved in cloning and west blotting of all these genes, and trying to understand what exact molecular roles modulation and modulation of signaling pathways that these proteins have to do during this um, cellular phenomenon. And I was, of course, I mean, this experience, again, uh, reinforced uh, my like love for virology, but also gave a very different perspective about viruses, because, of course, yes, people knew viruses, and people independently talk about cancer, and how deleterious it is, but I mean, at least at that point of time, it was not much discussed as to viruses also had a significant role to play in specific cancers. And this gave me a very different perspective about virology as such. What was also um, at that point um, very interesting is I happened to win one of um, a science communication competitions at national level and like, which was conducted by Novozymes, which is a Denmark company. And because of this, I was offered a six-month internship uh, in the RD facility. And Novozymes, they deal with uh, making different mutants of enzymes for different purposes, uh, for R&D purposes. So it was nothing to do with virology, but I was also like of the opinion that, okay, so all along you've been trying your hand only with different virology projects. Maybe you have to give yourself a chance to try something else. So I actually accepted this offer after my bachelor's. And so basically I took a one year of academic break and then uh, um, took up this internship opportunity at the R&D facility. And I would say this gave a very different Uh, experience in terms of techniques and in terms of methods because I was working with high throughput screening um, and all these bio robots um, in terms of the technological aspects but again this was uh, not anything to do with um, virology or medicine as such. So I do acknowledge the fact that this experience was interesting and it built me in a different way but somehow I still had this thing that I was not contributing really anything to medicine or to to the medical field or to the public health and these concepts. So I somehow decided to come back into academic research and get into virology again. And I again happened to um, have an internship opportunity with Dr. Luke Elizabeth Hanna, who who, who is now the WHO liaison for tuberculosis and HIV in India. So Dr. Hanna works at the intersection of tuberculosis and HIV. And I happened to work on a, a clinical virology project where I was evaluating two candidate HIV vaccines. So this was more of Um, clinical level of uh, virology of vaccine trials. So I I basically had to do uh, like a lot of flow cytometry work with PDMCs from patients at different time points and see if this prophylactic uh, uh, vaccines are really like um, incurring any any protective effect against HIV. So this was very interesting. Uh, I was also working on a side project uh, with um, uh, mucosal immunity. So with regards to HIV mucosal immunity where, uh, where I had to work with um, sexual workers in India and then collect mucosal sa- samples from the um, uh, cervix and then um, assign uh, or like evaluate the different cells that are really involved in conferring mucosal immunity. And this again was a very different perspective of virology that I had because at least the previous two other projects that I had gave me an impression of like, mostly cellular and molecular virology. But this was the first experience that I had at clinical level and it sort of gave me this impression that, okay, it's not only important to carry out research like on bench, but we always have this concept of bench to bedside and also bench, uh, uh, let's say bedside back to bench. So this somehow created this impression that research, especially in the medical sciences, is always an iteration. You always have something in the lab going to the clinic and something from the clinic coming back to the lab. And this was interesting. And this was the time I decided that, okay, maybe um, this is the right time that I have to pursue a PhD. So, because I had very good academic records and I also had publications from all the other previous internships that I performed, so I applied to a lot of U.S. universities, but that was the time I got rejected and came to the realization that, okay, maybe I should not undermine um, the experience that I would gain from master's. So, I decided to pursue master's in the same university where I pursued my bachelor's also. And it was also in uh, uh, biotechnology, but I was very specific that I have to somehow fine tune every research experience that I would have in my master's towards virology. So I can like, put all of my experiences in the string and then get into my PhD. Uh, but I was also very uh, mindful that these experiences that I should have in my master's should somehow prepare me in a different way, either in terms of techniques or in terms of concepts. So I once again received another research fellowship from um, uh, the Indian government. Um, and I happened to work at the Indian Institute of Integrative Medicine. And so that the, the lab itself was working on cancer and cancer therapeutics, but um, there was also a need for them to develop 3D models because there was this issue about cancer therapeutics not penetrating to the core of the tumor. So it was important that they had to develop these 3D uh, tumor models so that they could evaluate the. T- therapeutics. So I was of the opinion, maybe it is not directly related to biology, but it definitely could be applied to problems in biology also. So I did uh, appreciate the, uh, the opportunity of working on this project. And it was actually super cool because I worked with primary pancreatic cells and created these three-dimensional steroids. And of course, applied them to evaluate their own cancer therapeutics. But I really appreciated the fact that I had this opportunity to learn how to establish a whole new experimental model because I think, especially in this decade, we are getting into the importance of why these 3D models are important and how they could solve problems that uh, are posed by, or uh, let's say, the gaps that are left by the in vitro and the other in vivo models. So this was another really um, important stint in my career and. Finally, I also uh, realized the fact that all of my experiences were only at a national level and maybe if I'm targeting, targeting at international institutes for my PhD, maybe an international research experience would also help me to get there. So I was actually applying to a lot of um, labs outside of India for my master's thesis when I actually got, um, again, a research internship from the Nanyang Technological University, which is, which is in Singapore. And I had the opportunity to work with Professor uh, Richard Sugru, who is actually well-known in the field of respiratory social viruses. And he was also um, working on um, his introductory project on influenza viruses. Um, And I was actually working with him on that. So the project was actually to understand uh, what kind of restriction factors do humans have that would help them uh, to restrict infection with highly pathogenic avian influenza viruses, uh, because there's this striking difference in the way um, seasonal influenza viruses and highly pathogenic influenza viruses uh, deal with the human system and how the human systems deal with these viruses in return. So uh, this project was in terms of, uh, it was again related to molecular virology, Uh, so I had to do a lot of western blotting and cloning and from microscopy, but this of course gave me a very different reason that it is important to work with viruses which are of pandemic potential and The fact that I was able to work with influenza was very fascinating because it's a very minimalistic virus with very minimalistic genome, but it has been existing for so many centuries. And I got to the realization that the classification system is just exploding every year because of the quick evolution that that these influenza viruses pose. So I was really taken away with these viruses. And at the end of it, um, I already made up my mind that, okay. So it is going to be influenza viruses that I have to work on for my PhD. So I was very stubborn or perseverant, whatever the case may be, that um, I applied specifically to influenza virus projects in different, different countries. And that's how I came here for my PhD. So right now I'm working at the Institute of Virology um, at the University of Munster in the research group of Professor Stefan Ludwig and Dr. Linda Brunetta. And I'm working with uh, more of an intersection of fundamental research and therapeutic research, and also at the intersection of virology and immunology, because my project is uh, dealing with uh, evaluating the therapeutic potential of interference for um, respiratory viruses. So that's my whole research trajectory in detail.
1: Wow, that's like a lifetime of research just to get to your PhD, (laughs) that's impressive um so can you tell us a little bit about your lab so is it a big lab you know uh, what's sort of the mix of people that are in your lab and then maybe talk a little bit about sort of what is your thesis project you know what is sort of like the big picture and then what are some of the techniques that you use to do your research
2: sure yes so um to comment about the lab itself we are one group in the whole institute so we are uh, a total of 40 people Uh, So it's definitely a huge lab, which has a lot of postdocs and a a lot more of PhDs and a little um, proportion of master's students. So the um, institute itself is headed by Professor Ludwig, but uh, they also, I mean, we also have different subgroups, each of which is focusing on its own research topic. So we have a group that's focusing on um, immune metabolism in the context of virus infection. Another group that's uh, that's focusing more on the protein, uh, or, or let's say the host to virus um, uh, interaction. And then I'm in a group that's focusing more on the immu- innate immunity aspects. And there's also another group which is working on the oncolytic potential of uh, influenza viruses to be used for oncolytic therapy. So we, in, uh, the Institute as such, was focusing more on influenza viruses for more than a couple of decades. And right now, because of the pandemic, we also get into uh, SARS-CoV-2 because of the case that influenza and SARS-CoV-2 have a lot more in common, but also a lot more in different. So, to talk about my project, um, as I already mentioned, I'm working on evaluating the therapeutic potential of human interferon alpha subtypes um, uh, for treatment against uh, influenza viruses, both seasonal and highly pathogenic uh, influenza viruses, and now because of the pandemic, uh, against SARS CoV 2. So, um, if we take the uh, human interference system, basically, interferons are um, signaling proteins, which are produced in response to any virus infection, and these bind to the interferon alpha receptors, activate the JAK-STAT signaling cascade, which then uh, act, uh, like get into the nucleus and then um, activate the several different interferon stimulated genes, which are antiviral and immunomodulatory function, which then uh, impede the virus at several different levels. So uh, this actually made me realize how human and human cells have already evolved with such a sophisticated and diverse mechanism to, um, you know, restrict virus infection. But it also makes us think if the human cells are already equipped with such a sophisticated system, why do we get infected in the first place? So that sort of made me realize that there's always this red hypothesis that's interplaying. I mean, humans have something, but the viruses are also smart in antagonizing these immune responses. So which exactly gave rise to uh, what's called the interferon therapy, so we basically give interference exogenously and kind of reactivate the jack cell pathway and you know re-establish this whole ISG program and still establish um, a successful restriction of infection. But what's so interesting is, uh, if we take the in- human interference system, it's so diverse. So we have three different interferon types, like classify based on the uh, receptor um, types in humans. And um, there was also a recent discovery that there's a type 4 human interference system. And what's also intriguing about this is the type 1 interference, which has sub, um, types of the whole family. So we have the alphas, the betas, and the other non-canonical uh, sub, uh, type 1 interference subtypes. Interestingly, interferon alpha 2 is the only clinically licensed subtype. It's already the point of care for um, hepatitis infections. And also, I think it's uh, recently um, uh, approved for hepatitis B also. But uh, so these were already tried for several other virus infections, but these were never successful. And it kind of gave a clue that maybe there's some kind of importance with the divergent evolution of the type 1 interferon family, especially the interferon alphas, because we have thirteen different subtypes, and it kind of puts the spotlight on the subtype diversity and made us ask the question, is there any role for the other interferon alpha subtypes in terms of um, restricting virus infections? Could that be the case that one interferon alpha subtypes is acting against one virus, while it's the other subtypes which are acting against other viruses, which is exactly why interferon-alpha-2 is not successful against all viruses. So this is exactly why we want to get into the subtype diversity. And the point is, in the last few years, people have already asked this question, and they've already tried uh, looking into the other subtypes of interferon alphas, especially in mouse models, as well as in other animal models, because it's always about in vivo level of data as um, the point of evidence, if, especially if it has to go into the clinic. But interestingly, the um, interferon alpha subfamily family in humans and mouse, or for that matter, any other animals are not completely homologous, which means, for example, interferon alpha 2 in humans is not completely homologous in terms of its sequence, structure and function to the mouse interferon alpha 2. So if we use human interference subtypes on mouse models or any other animal models, of course, there's a species incompatibility, which will not help us to evaluate the efficacy and immunogenicity at systemic level. So what can we do about it? We cannot carry out a whole new study at human level without having um, promising evidence at in vitro and in vivo level. We, of course, can do a lot of assays at in vitro level, but we, of course, need something at you know something that's comparable to humans, and this is what made us uh, get into the 3D models that I was talking about earlier. Because right now I'm also working with in vitro uh, cells of the different um, resp- uh, the different respiratory cells, but we are also a group or the subgroup that's working with human lung tissue explants. So basically, when uh, patients come into the clinic for getting their lung tumors removed. We also talk to them and then get a piece of their normal lungs, normal uninfected lungs that we would then use for infecting with different viruses and then trying out different therapeutics. So basically, it's not really like spheroids and organoids organoids where we disintegrate the tissues and then resynthesize them in the lab. But it's actually retaining the primary tissue material and thereby uh, recapitulating what humans have in vivo. And also the different patient heterogeneity as well as the cellular heterogeneity that comes along. So we thought this would be the perfect model or perfect alternative for a complete in vivo model because we're looking into the exact tissue-specific responses. So uh, to put in a nutshell, I would uh, I'm actually working on evaluating these human interferon alpha subtypes using um, uh, different respiratory cells as well as these primary human lung tissue explants that we get from the clinic. And The kind of questions that I want to answer are. What are the similarities and differences in the ISG programs that these different interferon alpha subtypes induce? Is it the case that few interferon alpha subtypes induce only this set of ISGs, while few other subtypes induce different other ISGs? And could the differential ISG repertoire be one of the reasons for the differential antiviral activities that we could hypothesize for? And also, we wanted to ask the questions, especially in the the context of influenza. NXA has been the classical restriction factor that has been spoken of for years now. So we wanted to raise the question, could there be other restriction factors that could also be acting against uh, influenza viruses? And could these restriction uh, factors be the molecular determinants that could confer the differential antiviral activity to the different interferon alpha subtypes? So this is one aspect of my project. The other aspect of my project is to see if we can employ these interferon alpha subtypes in combination with the approved antiviral drugs, especially against flu in a combination setting, to see if the diverse antiviral program regulated by these interferons in conjunction with the direct antiviral pressure imposed by these antiviral drugs can actually create a diverse restriction pressure within the cell, which would not let influenza viruses emerge as resistant strains because at least in the context of therapy for influenza viruses, it's not the case that we do not have therapeutics. We do have a lot of approved therapeutics. The problem there is that these viruses are so smart and very quickly evolving because of the infidelity of the polymerases that they somehow develop escape mutations and come out of the pressure imposed by these antivirals. So we wanted to ask the question if combining them with these interference can diversify the pressure and not let the virus come out as resistant strain. So this is like an applied version or applied perspective of the project that I'm working on. And in terms of the techniques, I think technically my project is very interdisciplinary because I use techniques in virology, molecular biology, immunology, and I'm also the computer guy for the institute. So I do a lot of omics stuff. So I also do commands because I'm also coming from an engineering background. And I think that really helped me to answer the um, RNA and other um, big data that the Institute is generating. So that's like a technical repertoire. And because it's the tissue level, we do single cell sequencing and immunohistopathology. And um, yeah, so that's pretty much the technical repertoire.
1: Cool. And um, how far are you into your PhD?
2: Um, so I'm a third year PhD student. Um, uh, yeah, so I have to hopefully complete by the end of this year. It depends on when I get my paper accepted and uh, when my thesis gets revised. So I would hope to graduate by the end of this year or by, let's say, the first quarter of next year.
1: Okay. And are you? do you have any ideas of where you're going next? What do you want to do next?
2: Yeah, so I, as, I already, uh, it, as it's already evident, I would definitely stick uh, with viruses and virology. And I really love what I'm doing now, uh, which is at the intersection of um, innate immunity and viruses. And I would also maybe at one point get more towards the systemic level and get into the systemic immunity and systemic immune uh, responses um, elicited in the context of viruses. So this would be my broad research interest. I'm still reading a lot of literature and then figuring out what my exact research niche is. Um, So it's definitely uh, at the intersection of viruses and immunity. And I already made up my mind that I would want to stay in academic research, because given the case, I already tried industrial research, I already came to the realization that I'm not really cut out for industrial research, or maybe not in a full-fledged manner. Uh, So I would definitely want to do a postdoc after this. And at one point of my academic career, I would want to uh, become a group leader or a PI that has his own research group and research questions and I would actually want to also replicate the vision that all of my previous mentors uh, demonstrated in terms of, you know, the knowledge transfer, because I have like a lot of learning. I would have a lot of learning in the further steps of my career. And I actually want to give that to the next generation and see them grow and like be uh, like a part of their vision. So I think this is something that I really love and especially coming from a family of teachers. And I think I really want to have a close relationship with teaching. So I, would want to become a professor at one point but yeah.
1: And then I guess just to finish um, can you talk a little bit about how the last two years the COVID pandemic has impacted you um, sort of like professionally but also personally?
2: Yeah uh, so professionally and personally I would say I'm one of those people that had a predominantly positive impact because of COVID because if you take professionally, my uh, PhD thesis was basically proposed in terms of um, uh, seasonal and highly pathogenic influenza viruses. But the onset of COVID just at the time when I started my PhD gave me a reason as to why I have to include COVID as a comparative virus system, because there's a lot of common um, aspects between the two viruses. And also we felt that the question that we had with the interference can also be applied to COVID, uh, or a of two. And so... Uh, So definitely this means that uh, COVID-19 had led to the diversification of my broad research questions, my PhD. Also like every other institute and every other uh, lab that's now starting to work on, uh, that already started working on just 2 too. I also had the opportunity to work on a lot of collaboration projects, meet a lot of different other groups that I wouldn't have imagined to uh, collaborate with if it wasn't for the pandemic and if it wasn't for the virus. So professionals, professionally speaking, I would say I really got Benefited out of the pandemic, and also um, personally speaking, I think COVID-19 brought me to the realization that uh, the world is revolving around the concept of interdependence and not about independence. Because I th- as, as as someone that's outside of my home country, it really is worrying to see. Uh, it was worrying to see the pandemic unfold, and yeah. So I think it really brought me as a person to uh, get to the realization that. We are all dependent on each other um, in our real lives. And also at international level, there was a lot of exchange in terms of scientific reagents in terms of knowledge and publications and reviews were never a data, in fact, for the exchange of knowledge. There was free sharing of reagents uh, and there was also sharing of vaccines. So all this together brought me to the realization that this world is working in the context of interdependence and never independent. So yeah, that's a personal lesson that I took.
1: All right. Well, thanks so much. Uh, It was interesting to hear about your research and we look forward to hearing more about it uh, when you guys publish or maybe when you present uh, next year at ASV.
2: Hopefully. It was also nice talking to you. Thanks for giving me this opportunity.
0: This has been Let's Meet the Virologists, a podcast about people who study viruses. This is your host, Larissa Thackray, and thanks for listening. You can find us on Google, Apple, Amazon Music, and other podcast providers, or at lmtv.podbean.com.